Hello, how are you? <laughs> well, I was doing just fine, but uh, we just attempted a recording, and it didn't save properly, and we're having to redo it, and it's such a sad moment. I actually think this is the first time... Nope, this is the second time this has happened to us. It happened with a guest that actually never appeared on our podcast as a result. Oh, yeah, that was sad, too. That was an amazing conversation that nobody will ever hear. No. And in fact, I wanted to take notes during that conversation and didn't because I'm like, oh, it's fine. It's on the recording. I'll take notes later. Uh, And it's gone forever. So how are you? Well, I am the guy who messed up the previous recording, so I am very sad. But it is okay. I am doing all right. I think I'm now on my fourth cup of tea this morning. So let's jump on in before I have to go to the bathroom. That's what I think. (laughs) Uh, All right. So well, what are you calling about this morning? Yeah. So I'm actually calling to talk about intercessory prayer. And we started this conversation just a moment ago, and it was amazing. It was good. I want to not exactly recreate it, but I do want to kind of start from the beginning and lay out a little bit about what I'm wrestling with. Let me give you two stories that'll kind of illustrate what I'm talking about. Mm. So very common type of prayer request, right? That comes in. Somebody says, like 80-year-old male, found down, unresponsive. They shocked him a couple of times. They were able to resuscitate him. He's now in ICU. Please be praying. And I don't want to be callous about it, but at the end of the day, I work at 911. That's like every single day. Not that any one person's situation is not worthy of sympathy or uh, you know whatever, but at the end of the day, old people die. So mm. what is it that we're supposed to be praying about. Then take it another direction. You might be sitting like in a men's Bible study or something, and one of the guys says, yeah, please be praying for me and my wife. We're going through a hard time right now. Okay, well, maybe I don't know them very well, and so like I don't even know what to be praying about. Or maybe I do know them, and I'm still just trying to wrestle through, like, what am I supposed to be praying about? Am I like If I think the one half of the marriage is being a complete idiot? Am I just supposed to be praying, hey, God, make them not be so idiotic? Like, what is it I'm supposed to be praying about? And so I guess I'm struggling with how to do intercessory prayer. Yeah, this totally makes sense to me because I would put myself in the general contemplative prayer tradition. When I pray, I am very comfortable with silence. As a matter of fact, just this last weekend, I was leading a silent retreat, and I was telling my mother about this, and she said, oh, finally something that you're like really the right person for. And what I got out of that was that she thought a a retreat where nobody talked was the perfect thing for me to lead, because that's how much I should be talking. <laughs> but I, I think she meant something else. Yeah. By the way, you know, as a co-host on the podcast, you probably should talk a little less as well. You know, you just <laughs> just really embrace that silence, would you? Yeah, my my wife said after my mom said that that maybe I should have led all of the the sessions that I was leading 
via some sort of throwback to the 90s mime ministry that was happening in <laughs> churches. And, right. and I didn't do that. I think that part could have been unsaid. Like, I think we knew you didn't do that. <laughs> Maybe. But anyway, I find myself very comfortable in the contemplative prayer space. I am far more comfortable with silence. Prayers that are deeply influenced by scripture, whether that's the Book of Common Prayer or something like Lectio Divina, where you're praying out of a moment of reading scripture, all of that makes a ton of sense to me. And I think in some sense, intercession makes sense to me. But I guess when I am praying prayers of intercession, I feel like my prayers are inadequate because they are often very brief. You know, when I was pastoring in Boston, there were a host of times I would sit down with someone and they were involved in an abusive relationship and they were still with the abuser. And the best prayer that I can possibly come up with in that moment is God please just intervene in this situation. Like, do something. Come on. Get her out of there. You know, if I'm feeling really Christian, God, get her out of there and then make him repentant. But get her out of there. In a lot of those situations, I feel like what I want to say to God is very brief because really what I'm doing is just calling God's attention to a situation that needs his intervention. Yeah, I like that you're saying that it needs God's intervention. You're calling God's attention to that. It reminds me of a book that I recently read. I think I mentioned on the podcast before, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. And in that book, he has a chapter on intercession. And the thesis of that chapter is that we are created as God's vice regents. We are created in God's image to rule the earth in his stead as his second in command. And to fully embrace that role means that as caretakers of the earth and as caretakers of our fellow man, we will bring these concerns to God and say, this is what needs the master's attention. This is what the master needs to be acting on. And that's a second in command type of job. And so it's our job to tend to the earth, tend to our fellow man, tend to these situations as best we can, and then to say, this is what we need to elevate to the highest level and say, this is what needs to be done. I appreciated that context for understanding intercessory prayer. It involves me and my, maybe even my judgment, my discernment, my emotions, more than I typically think about in just the general prayer request type of moment. I'll tell you what I love about that. But before I do, I have to tell you every time you mention that book, and you've mentioned it several times, what I really want the book to be titled is Praying Like Mantises. <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> that's, that's what I, someday when I write a book about prayer, that's what it's going to be called. Praying Like Mantises. I can just imagine the snarkiness that is just going to weave its way through those chapters. Every oh, chapter title actually should just have like an insect in it. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be great. But anyway, the thing that I love about that idea of 
intercession coming from our place of vice regency is that it opens us up to having some creative space in which to decide what to pray. What I mean is, most of the time, I think when I'm praying, I am trying to pray the right thing. You know, if I'm dealing with an abuse situation, I have to figure out what is the right thing to pray here. If I'm talking to a friend and they're going through a complicated situation, I have to, I'm, I'm asking myself, what is the right thing? What, do, what is the right thing for God to do that I can ask God to do? As if there is a very narrow, small bullseye that my intercession has to hit. And it is the single right thing. And if I manage to ask the right thing, then there's a chance that God will do it. God already knows the right thing. And this is maybe why prayer is, intercession is deeply disempowering or uninspiring to me. Because if God already knows the right thing to do, and I'm just trying to fiddle in the dark for it, it seems like a really dumb system. <laughs> right? Like, God, you know the best thing to do. You're not going to do it unless I ask you to do it. That just sounds like, A, not kind and inconsistent with the character of God and not like a kind of person I want to talk to. That's sort of passive aggressive. Well, yeah, I have to say I feel very similarly where I just feel very trapped, like not trapped, but yeah, caught in that same cycle. Like, okay, God knows. So why do I have any role to play here? But as yeah. you're talking about it, I'm thinking about even my own job and my interactions with my bosses. So often, my bosses, if I bring an issue to them and say, this is something that needs to get fixed, or this is a problem we're having, and I also bring a solution, and I think it needs to be handled this way, so often they go, great, do that. Well, yeah, absolutely. This is... so. Associate leadership is my life. Yeah. And in mentoring other associate leaders and in mentoring people to manage volunteers, if I'm mentoring another associate leader, I say every single time, never bring a problem to the senior leader. Always bring at least two solutions. Just go with an answer. And on the flip side, if I'm leading somebody and they bring a problem, the correct question is, what do you think we should do? That's the mm -hmm. empowering answer. And nine times out of 10, that other person is absolutely right. And the thing that I love about this, kind of this vice regency idea coming into intercessory prayer, as well as this sort of leadership theory, if I say, what do you think we should do? It's not that that person comes up with the same answer as me. It's just that there's plenty of right options. Yeah, I think that's the thing. There are plenty of right options. And so, yeah, tell me what you want to do. You know, and, and I, I love the thought of all of us coming up with a right option that is different from one another. Hmm. Let's take your example of the men's prayer meeting where the guy is saying, I'm having a hard time with my marriage, mm -hmm. let's say there's eight other guys in that room, one guy might know the situation well enough to know, ooh, 
I bet that's because you are kind of a jerk sometimes. And another guy might just know enough to know, oh, if he's admitting that, I don't know if it's him or her, but God, I pray that they would be able to have safe space to talk about this. And somebody else might think, oh man, if they're going through something, when my parents were going through something, that was hard for me. I just want to pray for their kids in this situation. And on and on it might go. What's cool to me about all of this, and this is coming out of uh, the something that I've been reading lately. I've been reading uh, Eugene Peterson's book on Revelation that is absolutely like, if I could give it six stars on Goodreads, I would. Mm. It is the maybe my favorite Eugene Peterson book so far. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it is phenomenal. And I'll talk about it more in thoughts, but he talks about the scene where the prayers of the saints rise from the altar before God like incense, and how an angel comes and gathers the incense, the prayers of the saints, and puts it in a censer, like that thing that you carry incense in that the smoke can come out of. And he sort of whirls it around his head and throws it back at earth. And it causes all of this action on earth. And it is symbolic of the fact that prayer seems to be deeply inactive, but it can have profound consequences on earth. But the thing that I love about this image is that what comes up before God is not my prayer, but our prayers mingled together. And so in that men's prayer meeting, God doesn't hear my prayer and then the guy next to me, his prayer, as if those were separate things. He hears our prayers for that situation mingled together as one unique incense. And so what I add to that incense of prayer is the thing that I actually care about, and that's why it's good for me to pray that thing. I really like this vision. You're almost applying Paul's language about the body of Christ and the different members having different roles into the idea of intercessory prayer, and that my giftings or my way of thinking lends toward this prayer, and the guy next to me has a different set of giftings or ways of thinking, and it leads toward this prayer. And together, we as the body of Christ, we as individual members comprising the body of Christ, intercede on this person's behalf and ultimately collectively come to like a really good, healthy place in praying for this situation. Yeah. And it makes me want to gather people for prayer for various things, because the more people you gather around a particular topic of prayer, the more beautiful the tapestry of prayer that is woven by the community, that is brought up before God, and God is asked to do this one big thing that is deeply nuanced deeply thought out because the entire community has brought their best wisdom asking for every detail of the situation. You know, would I think about the financial impact of that couple's uh, marital discord? Not necessarily, but somebody else might. And thank goodness they did. Mm. Well, so, okay, all of this, like this, this moment, this big prayer gathering and all of these people praying, I mean, it sounds 
glorious. It sounds very big and something awesome to be part of. But that brings me actually to something else about intercessory prayer that I'm actually kind of a little reluctant to bring up because it sounds so petty. But can I just be honest and say most of the time when people share prayer requests, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't really want to pray for that. Like that's so small. That's so insignificant. That's so petty. That's so whatever. I'm just like, can we not actually pray for big, meaningful things? Like, I'm sorry, and I'm sure nobody's going to share their prayer request with me ever again after hearing that. But like, <laughs> sometimes like I look at Paul and, and I'm like, he's earnestly praying for his congregations. He's earnestly praying for his people. And, you know, he writes like First Corinthians dealing with all kinds of significant issues going on in the church. And I'm sure he was praying over all of those significant incidents. And I think to myself, I don't think Paul was praying that their pet cat recovers from cancer when it's a 13-year-old cat. You know what I mean? Like, I do. And this is, I was going to ask a similar question without mentioning cats, because I think I've mentioned before how much I hate animals. And so I'm just afraid that any animal lovers will, you know, the only reason they're not going to burn my house down is because I have pets. <laughs> but you bought an incombustible house anyway, so it's fine. I did. But my question comes from the other end, but makes the exact same point. If we list out the prayers that we often are interceding for, they are things like let this person be healed, let this person's marriage be better. Let this person get a job. We've all prayed for that one, right? Like those kinds of things. Am I right? Yeah. But the aforementioned silent retreat that I led this weekend, we focused our time on Ephesians. And so this is not meant to be a comprehensive look at all examples of intercessory prayer in the New Testament. Paul has two intercessory prayers in a very short book. And when I read them, they are not the same as my intercessory prayers. The mm. first one says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And then the second one says this, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints 
what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Mm. Those are different prayers, not just in their language, but in what they're praying for. Yes. And I find them to be so meaningful and impactful. But as you're reading through those, because I had thought about those passages as well. I hadn't read them recently in preparation for this conversation, but I was tempted prior to this conversation to say, see, that's how we should pray. That is the model for intercessory prayer. We really should be focusing on these bigger ticket items, you know, God's revelation or God's working in someone's life. But going back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of this gathering of prayers and this well-roundedness of prayers that come through the community, maybe this is just one of the prayers we need to be praying. And if that's the way we're bent, then that's the way we're bent and that's how we should pray. I think it's kind of like, you know, I was even thinking just a moment ago about our podcast. Our podcast is a very niche podcast. We want to practice spiritual formation through the lens of friendship. There's not a lot of podcasts out there that try to do that, but it doesn't mean that every other podcast is a bad podcast or that ours is a bad podcast because it doesn't fit the mold of the other ones. This is part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And this is the part that we're passionate about and we want to explore deeper. And I think you know, the same thing is true about prayer. And if if you're a Apostle Paul and you want to pray for God's word to spread through these congregations, then that's how you should pray. And if you really love cats and you think, you know, Fido's not Fido's, what's a cat name? Fidina. Fidina's, you know, cancer is worth praying about. Please, by all means, knock yourself out. Well, and I will say. I have had some odd prayer moments in hosting mission trips. Have I told you the cat story about this? No. So I had a lady show up at my old church and we, you know, one of the questions, hey, how'd you hear about the church? Well, I was on the street the other day and I met some kids from your church. They were on a mission trip and we frequently would send students out and tell them to offer to pray for people for whatever they wanted prayer for. And uh, we would coach them, but it was pretty wide open. And and she said, and no, I just needed prayer for my cat. So they prayed for my cat. And you know, my cat was better when I got home. And I figured if God cares about that, then I should find out more about him. So here I am. Mm. And I thought, I hate this story. because this is not no you shouldn't have been praying for the cat no absolutely not of course not because i was being judgy and dumb and i think you're spot on if somebody wants to pray for fidina great without any judgment we don't know what God is going to do through that prayer. Yeah. Again, going back to this uh, praying like mantises, I mean, praying like uh, monks, <laughs> living like uh, fools. Uh, that's isn't it? Right. Uh, so he has this scene that he sets up one of his chapters 
where he's riding in a car with his mother-in-law. And his mother-in-law, like it's around Christmas time, they're in a big SUV and they're driving around this parking lot trying to find a parking spot. And she just says out loud, casually, without any sense of shame or anything, dear Jesus, help me to find a parking spot. And he thinks in his mind, what? We're driving this gas-guzzling vehicle in the middle of a mecca of buying stuff that we don't need for a season of just giving stuff. And like, why is God even going to listen to that prayer? And like, you know, he's going off in his mind. And immediately after she prayed that prayer, a parking spot opened up and she goes, thank you, Jesus. And she parks her car and she goes into the, and, he, and he's like, what? You actually like listen to that prayer? And it's the same thing as your cat story. Like, we can get on our high horse and think like, this is so beyond God. Why would he care? Mm-hmm. And yet he does. And I'm thankful that that we have a full body of Christ, right? A full community. That's just not how I would pray. No, absolutely. It blows my mind. But God is far more generous than either of us or even both of us put together. Well, which isn't hard. Which isn't much. I've met praying mantises that were far more generous than either of us put together. But uh, yeah, I just, I love this idea that a prayer is not what I say to God, but the intermingling or interweaving of what all of us say to God about a particular topic. Yeah. Well, this has been cool. This is not exactly, I mean, I, I love coming to these conversations because this is definitely not where I thought we would land with this conversation. I never know where we're going to land. I mean, that's the beauty of it. But this actually gives me some hope in actually growing in intercessory prayer because I just have to bring me. I don't have to bring, like, I don't have to be the lady that's going to pray for a parking spot, or I don't have to be the heart-filled, compassionate one that's going to pray for Fidina. But I do have to be me, and I have to bring those things that I care about in prayer, in the ways that I care about them, because just like the person sitting next to me, I am a co-regent on this earth tasked with that responsibility. So I just need to do it in the way that God has created me to do it. Yeah, that's so good. And I, I love thinking about, even you know, as I think about our podcast, the wide range of people we have from across the United States that listen in it's cool to think about if all of us were praying about a particular thing, the tapestry that would weave together from that group of people. Because that's a fairly mm-hmm. wide range of people who are not just, who would not theoretically just be praying across a geographical space, but they'd be praying on different days and different times and whatever. And it just, it all weaves together into this one thing that God hears. Yeah. Well, and to expand that even further, just a point in fact, we actually have an international audience. We have some folks in Canada, India, Spain, the UK. So it's pretty cool to even think about an international group of people praying about a topic and those things all kind of coming together. So good. Well, I would love to turn towards the audience We both come to this topic very much as learners, not as experts, and we would love to hear your thoughts or experience with 
intercessory prayer. Please take some time and on any of our posts this week, share your thoughts about intercession, share your thinking, share your experience. We would just love to hear that. And, you know, we would also love to encourage you, if this is something you want to think or talk about more, take a moment and share this episode with a friend of yours so that it can be a catalyst to a conversation that you guys have about prayer. Because we really think that there is this beautiful tapestry we are weaving all together. And the further out we can reach, the better. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to hear people's thoughts and comments because obviously I have one way of thinking and I need other ways of thinking to round me out. So, Exactly. But, uh, so that's something I've been thinking about lately. Josh from Missouri, you kind of teased us out with the best Eugene Peterson book of all time. So tell us more about that. It really is wonderful. And maybe it's just because it's the most recent. So Peterson's book on Revelation, Reverse Thunder, he is making the suggestion that the book of Revelation is not a way of understanding a future or the end of the story per se. It is not a fortune telling in complicated detail that we need to somehow get our decoder rings out and interpret. Instead, he talks about it as something that is deeply pastoral. John, the author, was deeply involved in the life of the churches that he is writing to. He cares pastorally about them, and he is inviting them to think about what it means to live their lives on a public stage as Christians and what the gospel has to say about our lives and the way we need to live them in the context of the world. And so he is suggesting that the imagery of the book of Revelation is this beautiful, almost remake of everything else that has been said in the Bible in very poignant and attention-getting images in order to teach us how to live as Christians here and now. And in so doing, he talks about a variety of different topics. Each chapter is a topic. Because it's the book of Revelation, it's the last word on fill-in-the-blank, the last word on witness, the last word on worship, the last word on church, the last word on judgment, uh, whatever. And I don't want to talk about individual chapters per se. My big thought is I appreciate Peterson's invitation to take the book of Revelation as a beautiful, poetic expression, inviting us to think deeply about how to live as Christians in the world now. And I think that there is something to that. Yeah, I always appreciate any sort of take on Revelation that is not charts, graphs, predictions, prophecy fulfillment, speculation, all of that stuff. I think there is something much bigger going on in Revelation that Eugene Peterson is hitting on that 
I think is so valuable. And if we were to study that book through that lens, it would come alive in ways that it really needs to, and really honestly did for the first audience anyway. Yeah, it is the first introduction to the book of Revelation that has made me really want to dig into it and read it more and to treat it like what it is. When I grew up in a generation that was treating the book of Revelation like something to be analyzed. And similarly to what I said several weeks ago about the wreck of the Deutschland, the poem, I talked about how you experience poetry before you understand it. And I think that there's something in the book of Revelation that is inviting us not to analyze, but to be experiencing and encountering in a way that poetry does in modern writing that I think apocalyptic was designed to do in older types of writing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm going to have to add this to my list. So coming out of seminary, there were a few books that I knew that I needed to read, one of which is The Mission of God, from which my thought will come in a minute. And then there were a couple of books of the Bible that I didn't feel I got to study adequately. One is the book of Isaiah, and I'm listening to lectures on Isaiah and reading through the book of Isaiah multiple times. So I'm trying to get Isaiah crossed off. And then Revelation is another book of the Bible that I got a good teaser on, but want to dive into further. And so I'll have to add Peterson's book to my list. The other book I want to read on Revelation is one called Reading Revelation Responsibly. I just love that title, and that's exactly what I would like to be able to do, is read Revelation responsibly. So uh, thanks for the extra book. Yeah, my pleasure. I I have one other Revelation book on my to-read list that is going to come up soon. Have you heard of Revelation Through Old Testament Eyes? No. So this is Tremper Longman, who is a well-respected theologian. Old Testament scholar. Yeah. And so for him to dig into the book of Revelation specifically from this point of view is very exciting to me. No doubt. Yeah, that's awesome. I would love to read that as well. Boy, we might have to do a Revelation study. I don't know if that's going to make the podcast because people are going to be like, oh, and now they've turned wackadoodles. But <laughs> Well, at least one conversation about it might be worth it. Yeah. Ah, that's cool. But uh, you were saying uh, a little bit about your thought. I'm curious to hear uh, you've shared a little bit already about this book, and I'm excited to hear more. Yeah. Uh, so as I said, this is coming from uh, The Mission of God by Christopher J.H. Wright, and he does a great job throughout this book. He's doing an entire scriptural look at what mission is. And as a result, he's just trying to figure out what is biblical mission. From Genesis to Revelation, what are we talking about when we're talking about mission? And as a result, he's also trying to balance out some of the polarizing sides that we have taken in our Christian approaches to mission. On the one hand, some Christians are very much about social justice, and any sort of humanitarian effort is an effort on behalf of God and on behalf of his gospel. So, any humanitarian thing is great. And then on the other hand, we have, well, all that matters is Jesus Christ, and people need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And that is our Christian mandate. Anything that doesn't include that message is not Christian mission. 
So you have these polar extremes. And all throughout the book, he's saying, guys, this is not an either or thing. A full biblical mission involves social justice things and the truth of the gospel. These are intertwined and they should not be separated. And in scripture, they are not separated because scripture was written at a time where we didn't politicize this. This was never a political statement. This was just how God envisioned mission working. And one way he illustrates this is actually through the Exodus story. And I thought this was fascinating because liberation theologists will look at the Exodus story and say, God cares about slaves and setting people free. And God is all about liberation. And what Wright does is he says, it's not just that Israel was in slavery. It's the fact that they were enslaved to the wrong master. What God did was to liberate Israel from the bad master, Pharaoh, and take them to the foot of Sinai and put them under his authority so that they would be slaves to the right master. And that was such a beautiful way of tying these worlds together. That's great. I love that. Yeah, I really appreciated it. And I appreciated so much of what he has to say along those lines throughout the whole book. He's really bringing the church to a healthier place in terms of talking about mission in a much broader biblical framework than we typically apply to it. So yeah, if you can endure it, it's a long book and often dry, but it's got such good content. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Well, man, this has been a great conversation both times. Are we on for next <laughs> oh, week? We're not on for next week because we have to do a Witch Josh question before we get off oh, the air. Oh, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. You were already feeling like we already did our shame, our, our walk of shame because we had to record this episode twice. Yes, I am fully thrown off. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Here we go. Which Josh, ladies and gentlemen, which Josh single-handedly ruined a church outreach event? This sounds awesome. I can't wait for yes. the rightful Josh to speak up. And this is me, and I don't think I've shared this story on the podcast before, but uh, when I was at the church in uh, Massachusetts early, early on, we were planning on doing a fairly significant food giveaway. We were going to be giving out probably 5,000 pounds of food. And we had, wow. yeah, not, it was not like 15 minutes worth of work. We had gone and picked it all up and we had volunteers in the previous day and we had bagged all, pre-bagged all the food to make sure it was ready to go. And we had had people put out flyers, like probably several thousand flyers. We had figured out at that point that basically for an event where we were giving away something for free, every 10 flyers, we would get somebody to come. So we just knew if we want 200 people extra to come, we need to put out 2,000 flyers. Done. So we had put out several thousand flyers. We had done all of the work. We brought the food over. We did, and not a single person showed up. Whoa. Not a single person. 
You put the wrong date on it. I put the wrong location on it. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I put the wrong location on the flyer because there was this quirky way that you had to get to the parking lot. And whenever I was giving directions, I would give directions from this one particular intersection. And so I just wrote the intersection on the flyers. And so I have no idea if people showed up at that intersection because what I do know is that literally nobody showed up. And we had this 15-passenger van crammed full of food, ready to give out, everybody ready to roll, and I had just butchered it with one minor mistake. Oh, man. So what's the, the end of the story? Like, That's the end of the story. Did anybody get the food? Like, That's it? Like, it just bombed and that's that's that? There is no redemptive end to this story. I mean, we were a church in the inner city. We gave away the food eventually, I'm sure. I don't remember how. I mean, within a year or two of that, maybe by then, I don't remember the exact timeline. I mean, we were giving away four to 6,000 pounds of food a week at our food pantry. Wow. And so it was just bananas how much food we were giving away. But yeah, no, there is. it's not like, oh, we figured it out in time and managed to. No, it just went badly and it was a learning experience for me. That was uh, it. That's such a depressing way to end the t- podcast. Have a good I can't week, make everybody. fun of you for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was years ago and it is what it is. I mean, I have had to learn over the years that I am going to make small mistakes on things like hitting record wrong on the previous version of this episode. And I just have to be okay with that. That's who I am. That's how my brain works. There are lots of reasons that it's great, but there are also challenges that come with the way my brain operates. And so it just is what it is. All right. Fair enough. Well, how about we press record on next week's episode? All right. I cannot wait. All right. I'll talk to you then. All right, talk to them. Bye.